Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. And today is our uh, <laughs> another one of a broadcast from the edge, I guess, yes. is what this is becoming, of uh, board gaming and broadcasting about board gaming for or record podcasting, not broadcasting, for podcasting about board gaming in this crazy time period that we are currently living through. Hopefully you all are doing well and are not going too stir-crazy. I just did my first week with no kindergarten and was told that there will be no kindergarten for another month so i had a little bit of moment of tears but i'm back <laughs> on it <laughs> getting through hope you're all doing well how was your last week bill um my last week actually was been busy i'm yeah, still working been insane yes i've been uh i'm in retail um specifically in office supply retail so we're considered to be essential retail to work from home and we also have contracts with like hospitals and things like that that are also essential. So we are alive and kicking, and I have been away from home 50-plus uh, hours so um, per week. And so, honestly, the people that are saying, oh, I'm sick of home, <laughs> I would like to be sick of my home. Be at home. <laughs> Unfortunately, I miss my family. I, I do miss my home. <laughs> I miss my home and my family. But uh, but it's it's been good. I mean, I know there's uh, a ton of especially restaurant workers and, and things like that that are not as fortunate. Uh, and that's uh, I worked in the restaurant business. I managed bars and restaurants for years and years, and I can't. I can't even imagine what some some of these people are doing. Yeah, it's a uh, tight. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be rough. Razor's edge that you live, yeah. live on in that situation. Uh, luckily, we have uh, we have board games. Yes, to, to talk about. So, as usual, we have our solace. Take solace in some cardboard. Or today, we're going to talk about some other alternatives to physical cardboard. But yes. before we get into that, let's jump into what we always do, and that is uh, what we've been playing, or in your case, what you've been able to carve some time out. To yes. play, um, and uh, yeah, you've got one out right now. Do you want to just jump right into that one? Sure. So uh, I wanted to play a couple games. Uh, I actually have today off, so I wanted to play a couple games with my wife um, that uh, we never played before. Because I, I know you guys probably don't want to hear. Oh, we played Space Space for the 18th time because <laughs> we we've never talked about we don't have that. To tell you about it. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the first one was. Um, Side note, uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, Chris and I's f- really favorite two-player game uh, is Hanami Koji by Emperor S4 Games. And uh, Hanami Koji has, uh, well, as Emperor S4 Games has another game that's kind of a um, sort of sequel in spirit to Hanami Koji called Shadows in Kyoto, which we have but have never played. Uh, it's got the same art, the same geisha kind of, concept there and it uh same looking packaging and everything and it just looks like a spinoff from Hanami Koji so I pulled it off the shelf and we're both excited we're like so th- this, <laughs> this is like be the next best thing. more of our favorite game so we we're kind of going into this with an expectation that it would be similar in vibe similar in style similar in feel um and and then we opened the box and then it will never be the same. Um, <laughs> I I did not love this game. Um, Kirsten did also not love this game. Uh, it's basically, to kind of give you an idea, it's sort of a little mini version of Stratego. 
Whereas you have these agents that have that are meeples that have numbers uh, on one side of them, and you're on a little board, and you're kind of you're going around and you're trying to capture the other guy's guys, and it's basically like if you move into a spot with somebody else, then they reveal their number, and then you decide you know the higher number uh, wins, and so it's uh, some of your meeples have what's called like. Um, intelligence or central like i don't know they they're carrying secrets of some kind and then uh the other ones are just uh they like false intelligence so um the the goal is to either capture uh both of your opponents meeples that that have true intelligence or um make them capture three of your meeples that uh have the fake intelligence or whatever so um, or you can get your guy uh, with real intelligence, uh, one of them all the way to the edge of the board to the um, the other guy's home world or whatever. Um, and there's it, it's interesting the way that, that it plays and that you have these location cards and there's locations all over the board and you play a card to move a meeple to that location. Um, and then you all, there's also these tactic cards uh, that allow you to do like, basically think the Duke but in cards. So it allows you to do like one time move stuff around, uh, like move a meeple in a way that normally kind of violates the rules. rules, Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, and you have the two decks and they're your decks. And so you can kind of choose which ones you want to draw and have in your hand at any given time. Uh, once you're out of those cards, you're out. Um, so it, uh, I, I, I feel like there is a, better experience here than I'm giving it credit for. Right. Um, I feel like it's something that if I played a few more times, uh, I might, it, it, I might like it a little bit more. It wasn't what we were expecting, which kind of probably threw the experience off a little bit. Um, so I'm not saying it's a bad game. It's, it's not a bad game. Um, if you don't like Stratego, you won't like this game. Um, I'll tell you that right off the bat. Um, but it's, uh, it's got a lot of elements to it that after the fact, I was like, you know what? I, I could have used this in a certain way. And, uh, there's also more advanced options where you get, uh, you can choose like a geisha, they call it the charisma card. Mm. And so you choose a geisha and they give you like a, a special power that's uh that's good just for you during the game so there's asymmetrical player powers there there's also uh weapons cards that can be used in an advanced variant and things like that so there's a lot of game there's a lot more game here than there is in hanami koji right um but it's it's extremely different and they don't feel alike um this isn't something i would just like take with me to the the bar and play right right um I, I do want to try it again a few more times. I feel like the fourth or fifth time is when both people have a much more solid idea of where the, the tactics and the strategy are here. But um, it's a little disappointed with that initial play, hmm. I'd have to say. Hmm. So, yeah, and that's uh, Shadows of Kyoto by Emperor S4. Uh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What have I been playing? I did... Um 
uh, a game of Jaipur, which I hadn't played in a while, I was borrowing that from you, and uh, I was showing Shelly that game, because she had never played that one, and we were just looking for a quick little game, and I was like, all right, I forgot, I forgot I was borrowing this one, so we checked that one out. Oh, I love it. Um, I'd played that before, but Shelly had never played it, and so we played a few rounds of that, or a couple rounds of that, um, and that was great. Yeah, Jaipur is such a great game, I was reminded of how... It's so one of those simple games again, like Lost Cities, where it's just like, man, it's such a simple structure, and it's just yeah. so easy to pick up and immediately get get it. You don't really need to play it several times to really get it. You just you just got it. It's so simple. But the market um, the market structure of Jaipur, it's basically a game where you are in I don't know Persia or something like that. I'm Istanbul, not exactly sure. The, I think, or, oh, is it Turkey? I, I think it. Um, I, somewhere with camels. Anyway, one of the, that would make sense. One yeah. of the main trading hubs back in the ancient times. Yeah, it's a Mediterranean trading. Yeah. Because, I mean, what are the odds you were going to find that in a game? Right. Anyway. It's never been done before. And so the fact that they they were brave enough to try it, it shows, says a lot for them. Um, but uh, so anyway, the whole point is you're just trying to like, you're an emissary for one of the royalty and you're trying to earn a lot of money in the market to get prominence and then favors i guess is sort of the backstory if i, I for I, the first time took time to read the oh, actual say, cover I've, of the i've no, I, <laughs> the I have no idea what what the backstory <laughs> that is technically is. The, the theme i know there's camels and i know there's like jewels and leather and something or other there's tokens yeah I, yeah I, yeah i didn't Cloth, know what the backstory tea. was yeah camels, um but basically you're just trying to get that money and um and in this case it's just a lot of gold and so uh, a lot of games do this, but this one just has a really cool market structure. Um, and then speaking of the camels, I love the fact that the camels represent uh, in the game. You can grab things from the market, or if there are a bunch of camels out there, you can just take all the camels. And the camels kind of represent that you can sort of get this fleet. I think they even call them, no, they call them your herd. But mm -hmm. think of it as a fleet of delivery vehicles. That's basically what they are in the game. And you can just suddenly send out all your camels to gather a ton of resources and bring them in from the market instead of grabbing one or two or maybe a few um, at a time. So it's just this fun supplementary structure within a traditional market structure yep. that makes the game really fun and engaging and has these sort of big moves, these big turns. It does make for big sweeping turns, which I think is is really fun, especially like if you have a horde of camels and all of a sudden all the cards out there are all like jewels or whatever, and you're like, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I a few need. Gold, gold are coming out of that. When does yeah. a, a herd become a horde? What does the count there? What would you say? Um, Gosh, I'd say a herd is really... Three to I don't know three to eight anything more than eight I <laughs> would hoarding. consider a horde yeah um, oh. for sure but um, and and also though uh, having most camels at the end of the game gets you some bonus points so uh, using up all your camels in that big sweeping turn if you mistime it you can you could give away points right exactly there's so. a big that big turn has the downside of the next right. turn you are now weaker and have less and because when you take everything from the market obviously the market gets replenished so suddenly boom more cool stuff comes out that you probably want and your teammate or your opponent probably wants too and you're like oh but and, and that's they may the not downside have the camel. of taking camels fair enough is, yeah is that you sweep them all out and all of a sudden your opponent has this whole board to go crazy on um and so it, it, it really is you like you want those camels because having camels are valuable, mm -hmm. but it does give your opponent kind of an advantage temporarily right off the bat uh, for you taking them because if not, nothing but good stuff comes out <laughs> and they have a couple of camels or whatever that they could use to get that stuff, then 
you don't get access to it. Yeah. So there's definitely good decision-making, a lot of solid decision-making for a, a small, simple two-player card game like that. So. The other thing that's kind of interesting about it is that it, part of the game is a two out of three structure. So you always will play, uh, you can, potentially will play three rounds, or you're always going to at least play two rounds of it. And so I kind of, I always like that with short games. I mean, because you can always, like, um, I don't know, Star Realms, for an example. That could be over in 10, 15 minutes pretty easily. And mm -hmm. then a lot of times you're just like, yeah, let's play again. I'll try that again. But this game, the premise is, all right, you may not, the, the, the luck may not be on your side because there's a little bit of luck here in the first round until you lose. But next round, let's see how it goes. So I just kind of like that it's built into the game, that it's a best two out of three structure because well, it plays really fast. And actually, Shadows of Kyoto is a two out of three Oh, is it? Well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, it plays a lot faster than I thought it would, too. <laughs> <laughs> it just continually disappoints this game. Let's no, no, no. It. That's actually good. That's actually good. I, I liked that <laughs> you it didn't see drag it. Bill it out. rolled his eyes. He said all I that. I liked that I didn't drag <laughs> that it didn't drag itself out. You know what I yeah. mean? So. Well, that's true. It could have been worse. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that was fun to kind of replay that after having not played that in a bit. And another great one uh, if you're looking for just a quickie game with a lot of fun options, beautiful artwork, very colorful, and um, uh, just a, a fun little game. Well, and then's the uh, the uh, oh no, they're not. I was poker chips. I was talking about Splendor earlier today. They're poker chip size discs, but they are uh, cardboard. Yeah, they're cardboard, and they're laid out. There's anyway. The art's really cool. I like the art of the game too. So. I do too. I do too. It uh, doesn't take itself too seriously, but it's yeah. not like so light that it you feel like you're playing a kid's game. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, so Joypur. That's what I played yesterday. Okay. Well, uh, the second game that I played today was actually one of the first games that I ever kickstarted, and it's by Bearded Board Games, and it's a <laughs> game called Fences, and it's designed by Tim Forbes. And at first, it kind of uh, from the box, I was very much expecting. I hate to say it, so I was kind of expecting Carcassonne the farming game. Mm, I can see why. Uh, because it's tiles that you're placing uh, on your turn, but it feels, it doesn't feel as tedious as Carcassonne. So there's um, these tiles that you're placing that have like farm animals on them, but it also has fences. And you're laying these fences out and, you, and you're also placing hen houses of your color. And you're trying to enclose... Uh, your hen house in a uh, you're trying to fence it in so it's all fenced in entirely and then you can score points based on all the animals that are in oh it. I didn't even see the hen house and so it's uh, there's a, a, a lot more strategy than I thought there would be uh, we actually really enjoyed this one um, it uh, two player it went really really quickly I think it was about 25 minutes or so it wasn't very long um it does play up to four, and um, they, there's always you have there's a gigantic stack of uh, of farmers or whatever they call them uh, that basically give you asymmetrical scoring abilities. So everybody at the beginning starts with a different farmer, and so like I might get you know seven bonus points if I enclose if I close a farm with just pigs or something like that. Um, or I might get an extra three points if I close a farm and it includes sheep somehow or what have you. Um, so there's a lot of uh, lot of cool scoring opportunities there, and uh, you, you really we found ourselves 
you know, kind of not not focusing too much because the, the cool thing is then they could have made this really AP prone right. um, by giving you a big stack of, uh, of tiles to choose from. But you only have two. Oh, okay. It's kind of similar to why uh, I think Suro works, mm -hmm. is that Suro gives you the three tiles, yeah. and that's it. Uh, this one just gives you two. So you're going to play- Single-sided or double-sided? Uh, they're single-sided. Single -sided. So you have two options. You're going to place this one, or you're going to place this other <laughs> one. That's it. All right. Uh, that's your, your only option. When you place one, you have the option to place one of your three hen houses, or four hen houses, and uh, on a uh, spot that's not connected to- uh, anything that's connected to another hen house. Are they really small or are they just not so, on this picture? Um, they are not on that okay, picture. Okay, I was like, I yeah, they're not on houses. the box. Okay. They're not on the box. They're actually, they're, they're actually like, pretty decent size. Um, this, this actually is, is, uh, up on our Instagram. Uh, oh. I just put it up. Um, I'm saying this with the, uh, with the knowledge that this is coming out tomorrow that you're listening to this, <laughs> so I know I can put it up tonight, and it'll be there as you're hearing all about it. So uh, take a look at it. It is actually uh, really cool. I, I like the art on it. Uh, it played a lot more smoothly than I thought it would. Um, there were very few. Once we kind of got past the initial couple placements, uh, there, we didn't have to revert back to the rule book very often. And I say rule book, it's a sheet. It's it's just a double-sided sheet. So it's uh, it's pretty small. It's it's a very concise rule book. Uh, there's a couple typos in it, but it's a Kickstarter. So what do you want? Um, so yeah, uh, you can go to, uh, I think the Bearded Board Games has a website uh, that, that you could buy it from. Uh, it's pretty inexpensive. And, uh, and they did a really good job on it. So I like to kind of promote small... Uh, small publishers like this. So uh, go check it out. It's called Fences, and uh, it's by Bearded Board Games. Nice. Um, yeah, it looks cool. I uh, I would also like to try it because I, like we've talked about this before, also not a huge fan of Carcassonne, but there's I like certain parts of that game, but just overall not doesn't I like do it for the, me. I like, the, yeah. I like placing tiles. The idea I just of don't it, like yeah. Carcassonne. Yeah, no, and, and I'm with you. We've both railed on Carcassonne before, so I think you would actually enjoy this. Yeah, I, cool. I think you I think you would, because it's, uh, it's still got that fun I'm placing uh, tiles element, and so there is a spatial puzzle, a big spatial puzzle. Sure, yeah. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like whatever Carcassonne feels like. I can't even really describe it. Right. I, I don't... I just don't love it, but I, I liked Fences a lot. Yeah, nice. Um, all right, next one I played is another older one, but um, I hadn't played it in a while, and so it's nice to pull it out. Alien Frontiers. I played Alien Frontiers with my wife, and I've never beaten her at this. And last game, no exception. She beat me again. There's a weird few games like that. We have a few games like that. Oh, it was down to the wire. This was a really fun play session because we... Um, um, we were playing and and uh, then it got tense and I kept robbing her with the Raiders outpost and because she was getting ahead and then I thought I was gonna have it and then anyway this was a really fun back and forth game and at the end I met one last lobby for success and she beat me by one point um, so <laughs> it was just a, such a tight game but um, but well, once again a game that I hadn't played in a while that I really enjoy I I've really really love this game and i highly suggest that you guys try it check it out if you've never have i've never played it give me give me like a two, oh, okay. two minute synopsis um here. yeah i gotta start bringing a couple of these to the game night uh if it ever happens yeah again. i was gonna say there <laughs> is no game night i don't know what you're doing we did cancel game night by yes, the way yes. so for the foreseeable we were responsible whenever yes um 
Yeah. So, okay, so the premise is, is that you are a corporation that is um, one of many corporations that are four, I guess, one of four corporations potentially that are trying to terraform Mars. And so you have um, you're you're all kind of trying to do it quicker than the other. You need to get eight colonies established on Mars, and that ends the game. Uh, or stops the game and uh, so potentially you can get eight on mars and around mars are these stations where you your dice are rocket ships in the original game do you remember ever seeing the original game picture they were rocket shaped Mm -mm. they were little rockets and the middle of the rocket was flattened so they would roll like dice but apparently they didn't roll that well and so people like yes theme wise really cool functionality wise these are annoying so they ended up going back to regular dice, and so your your dice that you have are technically your ships that you're sending out to do tasks. And the tasks that you do are different stations around Mars that you um, uh, usually some sort of space station that you send a rocket there, and it does something. Either it goes to uh, the solar array and collects energy or fuel. It goes to find asteroids to get ore um, for building purposes. Oops, building purposes. Uh, Those are the two resources in the game. Or you do a gamut of other things. One of the things you can do, it has mild PvP where you can um, go into a raider's outpost and just rob other players, but it does have a cap on what you can rob and how much of it you can rob. So... It's actually, it's annoying, but it's not game-breaking and not, it's not going to kill your strategy. It's going to be like, dang it, I needed that fuel, but all right, fine. And maybe I'll rob you next, <laughs> you know? All so right. it's really not, it, it does it really well. So basically you're doing, you're going back and forth um, doing this and then you get points that are, some are permanent and some fluctuate. So there are, I think, nine territories on Mars. Each territory also, once you land there and have uh, dominance, you know, they have the most colonies there they allow you to do an ability that you discover on Mars. They're minor things, but they can be really helpful. Most of them are kind of making the stations around Mars cheaper to use. So you get your productive, you get more productive or more efficient. Um, but when you uh, place your colony, you get a point just for placing your colony. So you can potentially get eight just for that. Mm-hmm. And then you get a point for being the dominant force in a region. However, if someone takes that away from you, they get a point for putting a colony and then you lose a point because no one's dominant okay. there. So, it's a really fun fluctuation of the game where um, there's a lot of bouncing up and down and up and down of the point system uh, throughout the course of the game because you have to time or think about the timing at least, acknowledge it, of getting that bump in points. And you can waste time battling for a region over dominance and throwing tons of colonies there, but then you're not getting potential easy uh, dom- or easy uh, majorities in other areas. So right. it's, it's a really fun structure and a dice roller um uh, that just does what it does really well and I, I don't have any expansions for it but um, I do have the second edition which they did a really great job with um, and uh, yeah it's just, just a, such a great great game I'll, have to, I'll bring it sometime you can check it out okay yeah for sure it also is known for having a huge board like it is like would take up this table it's weirdly <laughs> it's weirdly big huh. it's unusually big in today's style of games but, uh, but it's kind of nice, actually. It sort of feels like a nice novelty. You know, you ever have one of those devices that are made for old people, and you're like, this is silly. But I can see how cool yeah. this is to use. <laughs> <laughs> like the grand pad or whatever. Yeah, yeah, those giant phones or calculators yeah. are like, this would be probably fun to use. So it's kind of funny, that novelty of that. But, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's just satisfying. It's got the things you like about dice. It's got some luck to it. But it is heavy strategy in how you, of course, use your dice. And mm-hmm. then um, I, I've only played this four-player a couple times. I usually play it two. So uh, two, it plays really well. Four, it still plays really well, but it's more of a 
tighter game uh, because there's okay. there's more spaces open. Uh, like it's a thing where there is at, at any location there's a few spaces, and then a three player game, another one opens up, four player game, another one opens up. So it does doesn't feel like you're ever limited in that way um, about things you can do, but it definitely feels like there's more tension in the race to get to the end um there so but not in a, not in a bad way i don't know it's hard to describe but oh, yeah. anyway really good game alien frontiers still out there you can get the second edition um and uh i've never played with the faction packs but i've heard they're really cool they also have little alien technologies that let you do stuff and that are a really fun supplement to the game um so i recommend checking it out faction packs they should call them pactions <laughs> somewhere Someone brought that up at a meeting, and they made him leave the room. No. (laughs) That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Get out of here, Karen. I got you. I'm going over to Asmodee. They listened to me there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't have any more left. Uh, I've got one more, more, but it segues well into our topic of the day. Um, So we are, uh, well, let's tell you what it is. I got a chance to play Everdale um, Mm -hmm. with Aaron. We've been uh, trying to figure out a way to start up our game group virtually, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today. And um, uh, last night, um, we I was talking to Aaron about it, and we jumped on to just try out how it would work. And um, we tried Everdell. Everdale. Dell. Not Dale, right? Everdell. Everdell, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was really fun. So I had been playing with uh, Tabletopia, which is another way you can do virtual games. And that Everdell is nice because you can solo it. So I was playing around solo uh, for a little bit, just kind of getting, getting the rules down. And then uh, we actually were able to get a game going. Um, and uh, yeah, we played this game. I really liked it. It's I have been wanting to really play Everdell fun. for ever i was waiting for the the new newer edition to come out when the the reprint and it uh it did and then i didn't get it um but it looks looks beautiful it's beautiful i am a sucker for that um theme style of like anthropomorphic animals little like mm-hmm. tiny forest animals i don't know why i don't think it's like memories of like childhood stories like uh, the littles or um toad and uh what's it frog and toad frog. and then wind in the willows and all those yeah. like little creatures and their little lives i don't know why i'm fascinated about that so anyway having that theme huh. was just amazing and the art is beautiful it's just hand painted very detailed art style very cool color choices and vi- just vibrant colors just brings you into that world and then the fact that the physical game has that little uh, the ever tree which is just cool yeah, gigantic tree yeah it's that really probably really isn't necessary not but it just all. looks really really badass and it's very confusing to this physics um, algorithms within the virtual game because it's trying to figure out what you're trying to put it on because it goes up and down versus just a flat board so we had huh. a couple of issues trying to put things under the tree because it was like, no, you want to put it on the tray. No, I want to put it under like, the no, tray. No, well, no, yeah. But why would you put it under there? Would you put it on it? So anyway, just a beautiful, beautiful game. Really cool. Um, surprisingly close. Aaron, who had played the game, he's been playing it like all week solo, uh, beat both of us by only two points. Jeff and I tied for a second. We were at 49, and he was at 51. And I had no idea who was going to win through the whole game. I don't think any of us really knew. We had we felt one way or the other, but I think we were all wrong. I thought I was at like 10 points and just failing. Um, I was happy with my strategy toward the end, but I definitely didn't think I was close to them. Because this is like these types of games I think Aaron and Jeff are really good at too, this specific structure of game uh, is, is with well within their wheelhouse. So I was like, I'm just going to get creamed here. So I was happily surprised that I was in the mix. But uh, it's just really cool. The premise is you're building this little city from 
um, uh, there's a marketplace and you're, you're building structures and then you're recruiting other little forest creatures and animals to your city. And they do different things. The buildings do different things for you. And then there are different types of buildings. And then there are different uh, creatures or critters, they call them, that you can recruit in your city. There are common ones. And then there are unique ones that are usually more powerful but more expensive to recruit. Mm-hmm. And the way you recruit it is a variety of insanely cute resources. <laughs> the animals, you use little purple berries to bring to bring them over. Or you build the structures with, um, I think it's like twigs, resin, or pebbles. And... Uh, uh, anyway, so you're just trying to create this little engine of uh, production options on the board. You have certain areas you can place a worker to do things, and each season you get more workers, but you only start with two. So it feels very slow at the beginning, but it does pick up satisfactorily. And then the other thing you can do is also play cards from your hand. So you can either play a worker or play a card from your hand or potentially from the market. So you have a few options on how to do things, and the... As the game starts rolling, um, it starts slow, but it does pick up at a really nice pace. It never feels like it's going too fast. And then it has a really cool structure of jumping between seasons. So you start with Mm -hmm. two workers at the beginning, but at any time you can say, my city is ready to switch seasons. And you go to the next season and each season you get another worker at least, but you don't have to do that with everybody. You can jump from spring to summer um, before anyone else does. So you would get your extra worker and start doing your turns in summer while everyone else is still working in spring with their two workers if they choose to. So it's this really cool thing of... What's the advantage to not just busting through all of your when you, seasons um, like just to be like, all right, I want all my workers. Uh, I'm going, I'm <laughs> going through all my them. seasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of them is, is that because it's worker placement, there are some spaces that are uh, first come, first serve. And then there are other spaces that anyone can put as many, any amount of workers on them. So one of them is like blocking a space because when you go to the next season, you take all your workers off the board and then you start over. Oh, okay. So if you're blocking a really nice space and you don't really need it now, but you know what? Everyone else probably would. That's a reason. Um, And I think the other reason is, I mean, that's kind of the biggest one. I'm trying to think now what. Because that that would make sense. That's basically. uh, I thought about trying that. Like if we play it again is like doing. um, Yeah, it is kind of a wasted turn because you do skip a turn to do that but um but if you jumped a couple of seasons or at least right into summer to get a third worker um the other thing is is that i guess the other big thing would be as you switch seasons something happens so some of your buildings are production buildings there's and it's mostly like uh they have a green symbol it's mostly like farms or um timber or something like that mm-hmm. so they'll produce as you switch seasons so if you don't have any buildings yet they're not your it's a oh, wasted okay. opportunity there okay that, that however that though in the first round you're probably not going to have that much so you might right. have a building so honestly i think skipping that first season wouldn't be that bad of a strategy but probably mm-hmm. not till the end because then you miss out on a lot it's probably something you got to play with yeah yeah because if I think it were like viol- the strategy it wouldn't be a choice right yeah yeah i think it's a viable strategy to skip into the second season right away to give yourself, or at least earlier than than you might otherwise. But it, yeah, just a really interesting structure. A very that season shifts is really cool. I love the fact that you can jump phases or seasons without waiting for everyone else. You just do it whenever you want, and then it's within whatever your strategy is, uh, if it makes sense to you to do that. And and just um, uh, what else is in there? Oh yeah, there's there's basically. <clears throat> 
uh, a base set of actions that just basically is resource collection of getting those resources. Mm -hmm. And then there are two things that change every game. Uh, well, three things. The market changes every game and how it's displayed, of course, because it's a deck of cards. But then you have four actions on the sides of the market, which will be different in almost every game. And then you have a set of goals that are up top on the Evertree that you're trying to go after. And that's typically the ones that we played for, and I think this is typical, are just a couple like a card or a critter or a building or a critter that if you build it, you can um, earn that goal. You just can get an extra, it's usually an extra few points, mm -hmm. uh, or it gives you an ability that you can continually do. Mm -hmm. And then there are also some static goals, though. If you have a certain amount of, like, green buildings, well, then you can have a harvest festival, and then you throw a party, and you get three points for throwing that party. Uh, you send a worker to basically set it up and do it. Um, but anyway, so it's got all these really cool worker placement spots and structures that interplay surprisingly well for how mm -hmm. variable each area can be. And uh, and even if they fall flat, it still feels like the rest of the game carries it in a very satisfying way. On our game that we played, the goals that can shift, none of us got any of them because they didn't pop up at all. The cards just didn't okay. come up in the game. And so that just completely fell flat. But there were other goals to get, the basic goals that are always the same. Those were picked up. And then the other goals that you can create within the game, of course, that through the cards was enough to feel like you still got a really amazing experience and experience this world. So hmm. there's a lot to do in this game, and it is so it's quite rich. The theme is quite rich. Well, I listened to uh, I listened to a podcast uh, not super super long ago, but I guess probably close to a year ago. So yeah, um, with uh, that was an interview with the designer of Everdell, and it was uh, all about and this was the board game design lab with Gabe. What's his name? Who oh, did the final flick here? Um, so I, I, I like this podcast a lot. But it was an interview with uh, with the creator of Everdell, and uh, the concept was how to design worker placement games. Right. And it was sort of a um, he kind of talked about how he took standard worker placement and really uh, did a lot of unusual things and a lot of. Uh, kind of made traditional worker placement into something almost completely different. Hmm. Uh, and when he went through kind of his thought process on a lot of the, the things, and, and at this point in time, I don't remember a lot of what it was, but it sounded really interesting from the way he was describing it and some of the concepts that he uh, came up with for this. And it seemed like it was a pretty unique take on worker placement, which... Uh, which I, I firmly, I think worker placement, and, worker placement and deck building are the two that, to me, can feel the most samey. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Slight from, changes between games. Yeah, that... and I, I feel like worker placement uh, gets kind of a rap of being the quote-unquote easiest <laughs> to design because you just. Uh, you know, have a few places on the board, and they do something, and when you put somebody there, you get stuff. That's yeah. uh, that's a thousand different games. <laughs> um, so when somebody does uh, add some interesting elements or at least at the very least takes a basic worker placement game and adds enough interweaves, I guess enough interesting elements mm -hmm. to make it feel different. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really, really cool. And, and from everything I've heard, it sounds like Everdell does that. So yeah, uh, it's because the core structure of it is very familiar. Like put it like, it's not, 
doing something like Sulkin where you put one and then you come back and then whatever you it's on you, you sort do of that wait thing. for it to move yeah and it just or yeah. like uh, Raiders of the North Sea where it's like their structure of worker placement is that the structure of placing and pulling a worker is unique this more does when you place a worker there's the typical structure of placing a worker like there's mm-hmm. there is a static area of the board that is just I place a worker I get resources everyone knows that right. but then where it gets really interesting is how the cards and the um the action spaces that change, change. And those are similar in where you place a worker and then something happens. But then within the cards, there's some really cool ways to do it. Like there's certain buildings that you can permanently lose a worker for a benefit, or you can use a worker on someone else's space or in a very unique way. And so, yeah, it's really interesting. Hmm. The the base structure is going to be very familiar of how workers are placed, but what they do and how they can affect your strategy um, basically like, do I want to sacrifice a worker? I won't have it, but that's interesting. <laughs> what that does yeah. is really cool. So yeah, a lot of work went into designing and thinking about each space for the workers and how it's going to affect the game or each building or each option. Um, and you can tell it's, it's quite a lot of design work went into this game and it is quite good, quite good. Well, it's gotten a ton of accolades. I mean, every, I haven't heard anybody anywhere on Twitter or any videos nothing that bad mouths ever does so yeah it's yeah. Uh, it's one of those few games that i think uh is pretty universally applauded so um yeah, uh, I, yeah. i definitely definitely want to try it so check it out uh all right well let's that kind of segues well into our kind of main topic of the day no top fives no uh lists today we're just gonna kind of talk about some suggestions for you guys if you haven't already been exploring them you probably have but maybe we have someone you haven't thought of about how to get some gaming in while we were all quarantined or stuck in our houses or at least limited in our exposure to other people and as a bonus at the end i have some suggestions that are not necessarily game related (laughs) but are um ideas for getting your kind of social fix uh that i think a lot of people reach out for board games uh to board games for um but a ways to get that while still staying at home some alternatives there mine are not necessarily um game or board game specific yeah so i think i was thinking about how the best way to approach this and i think there's a there's a few different categories of this that there are obviously games that you can buy like an app store that are made and produced by the design companies that make them um for instance like splendor splendor has its own app or ticket to ride has its own app there are many of those that have uh, star realms of course uh, as a one that I think I've even mentioned before, but that's a really good one. There are games that I actually even play today more <laughs> in the app than I ever did on the board. Um, Patchwork is a game that has an amazingly good app, and oh, yes. I play that. I only play that really on the app lately. Uh, basically, I don't have my copy anymore. But that's part of it. But the other reason is, is the app is really well done and has a lot of good options uh, playing by yourself, but also with other people. Same with Splendor, actually. I don't really play Splendor Splendor anymore, has Splendor a, has an amazing app. Splendor has a phenomenal app, and uh, it, it really, really is great. If you like Splendor at all, I think, um, and I like playing in-person Splendor quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, but truthfully, if you're playing the app, you're not missing anything. Right. In fact, uh, it, it can be a lot more enjoyable because you're not waiting for other people to take their turn. Um, you, you don't get a lot of that, the social interaction necessarily, but, uh, but you do start to really hate some of the particular <laughs> compu- uh, computer AIs. 
uh, because they, they're uh, in in this game. There's actually I think it's three or four. I think it's three different computer AIs mm-hmm. that you can select. So you can kind of give them personalities and what they go for. Yeah. Um, and some of them will specifically kind of play against maybe your preferred style. So they can be really aggravating to the point where you really start to identify with them and be like, this AI is an asshole. (laughs) They're such a jerk. Um, jerk. Yeah, so it's just like playing a regular game with somebody you don't like. Um, I'm not selling this. But uh, but no, I I think it's uh, it's I I think it's got a fantastic app. Another one that has a really really good app I think is uh, Elder Sign. Yeah, Elder Sign's quite good. Um, I've played that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of expansions uh, or they have expansions within that app and the app that's very well good, especially as a story driven game. That's kind of impressive the, how well they did with yeah, the apps for and expansions sure. of that game. Uh, yeah, any other apps that you can think of off the top of my head? Um, off of my head. <laughs> can you read my mind and tell me what I'm thinking? Uh, let me think. You really like the app for... I got nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of trying to, to f- see if there's any more. Jaipur actually has a good app. Mm-hmm. Um, Ascension's got a good one. Um, Sentinels of the Multiverse has an amazing one. Oh, I think I, it's pretty good. I have not played that one. but uh, That one is uh, quite well done, and I think especially playing Sentinels, it's, it's nice. It, not that this is a big hang-up, just building your deck and getting it figured, or you don't build the deck, they're pre-built, but getting it, uh, the game set up and figured out, especially if you're playing with people, um, that can be really handy to do on the app. It's, uh, of course, especially now. Right. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a lot of great apps. Star of Realms. Star, Star Realms, Realms yeah. has a really good Star app. Star Realms is I, really good. I like Star Realms app a lot. There's a lot of good individual one-off apps of, of games. And so, of course, I would recommend if there are games that you like, just obviously browse the app store. But um, there's also the other two alternatives are playing in virtual spaces. And um, I just mentioned Tabletopia, which I played Everdell on and i had never played that i'd played another one called tabletop simulator quite extensively but my first exposure to tabletopia was with everdale and i would definitely recommend checking it out and um, just the way these work tabletopia specifically is free to sign up free to check out and free to play however the way that they entice you to to sign up for uh uh, a subscription or at least a certain amount of time is they have like a premium service so basically a lot of the games you can try them solo or with another person mm-hmm. but if you want to play a three or four player game that's behind the paywall um which is kind of nice you know i mean obviously you have to understand they have to make money some way right. but it's kind of nice in the fact that they even let you, they let you do the one or two player games to try it out um so you can kind of see if it's for you if you like the feeling of it playing virtually is very interesting um, the nice thing about the apps is that is usually a structure that is uh, there is some sort of engine in there that does things for you. It shuffles the deck, it sets up the game, it does all these things. It, it maybe will signal when your turn is. Oh, Small World is another good one that has a great app. Sing- signals when your turn is. All that stuff is in there. The virtual systems are pretty much like you would at a board game night. You put a game on the table and say, let's figure out how to play this. And you've got to manipulate everything in the game to run the game. I kind of prefer that. Yeah, I do. I personally do, too. I, I, I hate to say that that actually is part of one of the things that I, I feel like makes games so uh, makes physical board games to me more social. Sure. Um, because you can get on a mic 
and go kill Nazis on whatever game, Call of Duty or Nazi whatever. Killer. On yeah, <laughs> Nazi killer of the game. Uh, you can get on on uh, Call of Duty and you know you can talk to other people. You talk to way more people than you could ever sit in a room with. But I feel like what makes board gaming so social is is that that tactile piece and the control over oh i'm gonna move this and even if it's a mistake right it's not corrected by the board game itself right you know somebody else may be like hey you're not allowed to do that let's look at the rules and it becomes more of a manual process and i think that in and of itself is part for me part of the interaction that i crave so I, i actually think that's a really cool uh, part of the virtual board gaming is, is the where it is just it's just the assets right you know and you you move them around you can manipulate them uh, and if you're doing something wrong you're doing it wrong right I mean, yeah you yeah, just don't know how to play this game <laughs> so I, I kind of actually like that there's some games um, there's some apps that uh, for board games that I'll play and I'm like you know what I honestly have no idea how this would play in real life Right, because I just kind of do stuff, and it corrects me if I can't. Yeah, and uh, it, it automatically calculates. You can play the stuff. whole game and really not know what you're doing. Yeah, I've definitely you, done that before. <laughs> if you were to plop this game physically in front of me, I could not tell you how to play it. Right, right. Um, so that's that's kind of I, I feel like the difference between the, the sort of games you'd be playing on an app versus the kind of games that I think work well with like a tabletop simulator or tabletopia. Yeah, yeah. It's it is um there are some that are nice if you don't want to like learn the rules or you just want to jump into the activity. Mm-hmm. That can be helpful, but I also agree I I prefer to try to get through it. Tabletopia is really polished in the way that they have the rules are a quick click away. You can bring them up to the foreground as you're playing the game. And uh, I have to say, I'm quite impressed with their presentation. So, for instance, with Everdale, as we're playing the game, Everdale's rules are actually quite well written and very easy to reference. Um, so you just click it up, and it actually brings a scan of the rule book up it for you. Wow. And very uh, good resolutions for you, easily to be able to read. And then you can toggle back and forth between that and the game just to check rules or to get your initial playthrough as you're figuring out how to play. So <clears throat> that is exceptionally well done. And I have not played any other game on their system yet, but I'm assuming it's very similar across the board. Um the, the downside of that is that you do have to learn the game. <laughs> and so right. it can be a little, there's a little bit of a learning curve of using the system. It is a, a simulation. And so you are using a mouse or a trackpad to try to pick up and move things around and then using controls to control the camera so you can see the board. So it takes a little bit of finagling and fiddling to get it in a view that is comfortable for you, that you feel you're seeing the game and then uh, understanding everything that's going on. But... I'd say the controls of this and Tabletop Simulator are very intuitive once you start using them, and they, they do go out of their way to make them simple. They're not overwhelming. So uh, I would suggest getting, if you don't already have one, a little, if you're going to do this, get a little uh, USB mouse, cheap, just a cheap mm-hmm. one. I think that makes it a lot easier than a trackpad, but that's just my preference. Some people probably are fine. Fair enough. Fine with trackpads, but... Anyway, um, yeah, Tabletopia. So just uh, some ups and downs of Tabletopia. We talked about the presentation and uh, the functionality of being able to just simulate the gaming experience with a group of people around the table. You can just go up the box. Well, you don't have to open the box. That'd be hilarious, though, if they made you put away the game <laughs> afterward. Like, now you have to clean now, up after now yourself. shelve it. <laughs> because then the next time you log in, yeah, that game's still scattered. strewn yeah. all over the table. You're like, we're not going to let you play what again until yeah. you put this up. You're Why like, is this part of this? Damn it, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't 
can't you just pick this up? Um, <laughs> just pieces everywhere. Drink cups all over the place. Just clean yeah. up this room. <laughs> um, I can't go back to Table Dopey. I've ruined it for myself. <laughs> yeah, it's going to take me 20 minutes to put all this away. Got before like I can five play games I've got to put away. Um, the the uh, popping open the box, jumping into the game, and then simulating that feeling of of getting around the table with everybody and and learning this game together or playing the game for the first time is really cool. That that exists in today, <laughs> it exists today. Um, you can also chat if you buy Tabletopia or you don't buy it. If you upload it through Steam, uh, if you're a video gamer, Steam is just an online marketplace. You can use voice chat through that, or you can go on a Discord channel or any other way of chatting to go on Tabletopia. We just did a phone conference because we couldn't get our mics to work, so we just use our phones. That works great too, but it is nice to have that obviously verbal back and forth instead of trying to do everything through text communication, which just gets annoying after a while. Um, So yeah, it does an amazingly good job of um, uh, simulating the experience of going to a board game group and playing the game. The downside of it is It's going to depend on what service you're using. Tabletopia has a pretty good library, but it is limited. They have, they have about 800 and some games right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are some really great ones there. Uh, they had, uh, affliction, uh, is on there. Um, uh, several others. I can't remember all of them, but there's some good ones, but there are some quite glaring absences that I was like, huh, I'm surprised this game isn't on here. These collection of games are on there. So I kind of wonder if they're still working out their publishing contracts. Yeah. I'm guessing they're Um, affiliated with, yeah. With certain companies, and I'll bet there's uh, because there's Tabletop Simulator. I'll bet there's exclusive contract deals between the two, too, yeah. between one and the other. So that's probably kind of like you know I want to watch everything on Netflix, right? But Hulu has a lot of it, exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is uh, direct DLC. So um, Tabletop Tabletopia has some direct DLC stuff that is obviously like Bill was saying specifically from certain publishers. Uh, the nice thing actually right now is that it seems to be there's a little more clock crossover. I believe Wingspan is on both right now, which is cool. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so the the I would say the check of the mark against Tabletopia for me is that the library is a little smaller than Simulator Tabletop Simulator. Okay. And there's less of the um, third party workshops you can make they do have a version of it where you can if you're developing your own game you can put it up there you can develop the assets and put it online Mm -hmm. and then people can play it that way you see a lot of that in kickstarter you see a a lot of they're like hey go try this out before you pledge yeah you know see if you like it go we're on one or the other you're seeing it more Um, and more it's really cool too yeah which is which is very cool because it used to be the only option was hey you can uh you can do like a print and play version but if you don't know if you like a game like Sometimes that's a lot of stuff oh, yeah, to yeah. print and then actually, you know, yeah. put together and then you're like, oh, this game sucks, right. but I just wasted an hour and a half yeah. playing it. I paid $90 sudden so. printing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. I should just bought this game. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really love that. That is such a cool concept that they, these virtual simulators are catching on to the point where they're just becoming a standard. It's just like, yeah, come play around with it. Check it out. Oh, yeah, for and sure. it's way cheaper for the designers too, where they really don't have to spend the money as well to print up these as, well, as many prototypes. Really good for play testing too, especially mm-hmm. blind play testing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I think that would be, that would be really cool. Yeah. I, with. It's really exciting and it's something to consider as well. On a side note, if you are a designer, about how to get that going. I'm sure you, if you are a designer, you're probably already on your mind here, but it is an option to go down uh, because you suddenly have a pretty expansive and spread out gamer um, pool uh, with, that you don't have to necessarily know directly. True. <laughs> and 
Uh, because you can always find remote play testers on like uh, Reddit and stuff like that that'll that'll play it on Tabletopia or what have you with it. But that kind of brings me real quick into another alternative uh, as if you're trying to get your gaming fix in and can't leave the house. Okay. Design a game. There you go. Um, designers, Make your own fun. Amateur designers, like go to town. This is your time. <sighs> you're never going to have this much time to sit down and write out 200 cards you know <laughs> it's enough. just not ever gonna be like this again i don't think um yeah i wish i could <laughs> yeah. i wish i could do that but sadly I, I cannot um but yeah it's uh so yeah design a game if you're if you're a designer then you're probably taking advantage of this already if you're not if you're just a board gamer you listen to us because you like board games you know what why not? Give it a try. You ever had an idea for something? You ever like, hey, I really wish there was like a game that was sort of like Die Hard, but with ponies? <laughs> you know, do it. Do it, you know? Go out and you make whatever you'd call that, My Little Die Hard. You go make That's that. exactly what you'd call it. You go make that game, and, and you may not be able to ever publish it, but you know what? Have fun. Have fun. <laughs> Experiment. Because to me, um, trying to design games makes me appreciate the games that I play more. And mm. it helps me understand a lot of the design uh, dilemmas that you see where I, I'll open up a game. I used to open up games and play and be like, that rule's stupid. I don't know why it's there. But now I can sit back and say, okay, I can see why this is a rule. This rule, I don't like it <laughs> because you know the way it affects the game. But I can see that if you took this out, it would open up these other problems. Sure, yeah. So I yeah. think it makes you more analytical on uh, on why some choices were made because sometimes there just is no way around having this stupid rule. Stupid rule, yeah. Um, because otherwise, it would just be it would change the dynamics of the game so much that it would become unbalanced. So uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's another another Start advantage. Start small too. Like build a build a roll and write. Just do a roll and write. See yeah. what you can do with that. Um, take uh, I I think they. There, a lot of times publishers will have uh, these cool challenges about designing a certain type of game in a certain amount of time. Either it's like do the do a game with this many cards or do a game with dice or do a game with this mechanism. That's a fun way to start getting uh, design juices flowing yeah, and really try to make things That's how our, we mechanism. ended up with our game is it was originally a micro game challenge and then uh, it was a cool micro game and then it turned into an even better macro game. <laughs> yeah, bigger game. Bigger micro game? Yes. <laughs> So several micro games in one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a fun way. And like you said, you could also break down and deconstruct an existing game that you like and why, why, why you like that. And what does it about, about that game? Like what is specific choices that you can make in this game? Why would they do that? And what else they could have done and would it have worked as well? Or what would that have changed for the rest of the rest of the game? Yeah. You it's could, really interesting how interconnected all the mechanisms can yeah, become. For sure. If you, if you think a rule sucks, play the game without it and see yeah. what it does. Just mm -hmm. see what it does. And if there's ways, all of a sudden now there's back doors into things that you wouldn't have thought of before. And so a lot of times if you, uh, if you play around with certain choices in games, you, you come to a better understanding of why the choice that was made was made. And, uh, and I, I think that will always, that'll make everyone a better gamer. It'll make you better at you, you know, uh, better at strategy, I think, because you'll kind of see that underlying code, yeah. if you will. You start to see the matrix <laughs> of board games, um, which is, uh, yeah, 
That's and also you anyway. can do it communally. Communi uh, in communally, there we go. Communally. Communally. <laughs> um, as well, like get some group of friends together and pass around a design. And start with something and then just have everyone add something to it or bring something to the table. If someone is really, it's always nice to know friends who are very good at art and design. That is very important in games, of course. And so you can even start with just theme concepts and that might yeah. inspire you to go a direction or another or... Um, um, I don't know. It's sort of fun. I, I've always thought that it, getting together even now virtually as we have to do, uh, it's still fun to like try to do that as a challenge for a group of your friends and get yourself, I don't know, just say this weekend we're going to design a game. Whatever it is by the end of the weekend, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and then then at least it'll force us to focus on it for a couple of days really intensely, and that will be quite productive. So there's some fun options yeah. you can do there. It's a really fun Version project. one of Pirates versus Peacocks. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of options, guys, and we love to hear what you guys are all doing uh, i did want to one last time kind of summarize the virtuals versus the apps just to kind of give anyone a sense of if they're on the fence about it so look at the apps if you're looking for a game that it's going to have uh, set up for you and it's going to basically run the game for you you just have to jump in as a player and play it obviously you should probably familiar yourself rise yourself with the rules before you play it most of them have tutorials but it's usually better to kind of get a sense of what you're doing before you even start the simulators are really good the two are the main ones are tabletopia which is a subscription service. It's 10 bucks a month, um, which I think is a pretty good deal. Most likely, hopefully this doesn't last more than a month or two at the most. So for 10 bucks, you have quite a good category of games. You can play with a lot of friends. Um, it is a server-based system. So there are times with Tabletopia that the servers are busy and it might take you a few tries to get in. We took, this happened to us last time, but we got in pretty quickly after that and didn't have any issues. I imagine right now, especially. Yeah, they're very, very busy. But it seems like... Uh, a few days ago, it was really bad. Um, last night, it was uh, took a couple tries, but we still got in just fine. So I think they've quite rapidly bought up more server space or something. So they've, they're working on it heftily or, or quickly. The other one is uh, Tabletop Simulator. So the difference between Tabletop Simulator is that it's a one-time purchase. You can buy it once. It's 20 bucks right now. And then you have a massive library of games. It is many more games available to you than Tabletopia. Um, there are games that you can purchase for it, which are six to 10 bucks individually. There's also the big strength of it though, is that it is hosted on your computer. So there is no lag time. You don't have to wait for a server. You are the server and you, there's a massive amount of, um, player made games that use the assets from the games to, um, simulate uh, a huge, huge library of games. Almost any game you can think of that are available there that you can find. So it's just a bigger library. And of course, we always suggest if you are gonna try the game, try the game with the intent of picking it up at some certain time because that there isn't, you can play these workshop made ones for free, but that doesn't go to the designers who make the games. So definitely worth checking out, especially in these times, but you know, consider picking these games up if you really like them because they are awesome and we want to keep encouraging them to be made. <laughs> so I personally have both, I played both and I would suggest it. you just sort of pick up whichever one makes more sense for you and um, try them out because they are really, really cool. So let that be a quick little guide on how they work and uh, pros and cons of each one. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to run through very, very quickly um, a couple of things that uh, – a couple of suggestions. If you've got a bunch of time on your hands and you need to get, uh, you get your social fix in, but you're not necessarily like, hey um, – I have to play board games. Uh, one, uh, obviously, you've got computer games or video games. Of course, yes. Um, another is uh, something we've been doing uh, with some friends is uh, Skype happy hours. So we, we all get on either uh, it, 
but we do uh, Skype or Zoom or any kind of video conferencing, anything. Uh, and you just uh, video chat each other while you drink cocktails. <laughs> and uh, you can do this for a long time. And it's literally just like sitting at a bar. Yes. Um, it's, it's very addictive. And um, I mean, the alcohol, obviously. <laughs> um, Everything so, about it. Yeah. Very social. It's literally like sitting here watching, hanging out with people. It's, uh, this could be virtual right now. Um, and it, they, it wouldn't be any different. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's one thing you could do. Another thing you could do, and this is probably a longer term project, but you could learn a language. Oh, um, better yourself. Yes. So I speak French, German, and Mandarin Chinese, and uh, I like to do uh, language exchanges over Skype. So there's a ton of places online. Just look up uh, language exchange on Google, and there's a million different places you can sign up. Uh, find people that want to learn your language, which I'm assuming if you're listening to this is English. Um, or if you're a native speaker of some other language, maybe you could trade that uh, for a different language that you either know or want to learn or get practice on. And that's a great way to get social interaction because a lot of people around the country, let me rephrase, a lot of people around the world um, are stuck in their homes mm -hmm. and are looking for yes, the same kind of worldwide uh, thing. <laughs> social outlet that, that you are. So uh, if you hadn't thought about that, learn yourself a language. Um, and those are, those are really my, my big ones that, that are not necessarily gaming related. Yeah. Second, I would, one extra thing I want to add is like, uh, get up and walk around a bit. <laughs> I've noticed that as we get in quarantine, especially myself, I tend to fall in this trap of just like all day. I'm, I just not moving. And then suddenly I'm just like, I really just, it's going for a little walk around the house is important. And, uh, it also helps to just keep your a little bit more sane, move the blood around. And most places, most countries, I know like France, you can go out and, uh, you can, like walk your pet so you can walk for exercise they mm -hmm. encourage you to walk outside yeah. for exercise just maintain distance don't walk with groups or with other people um there's a, even even in kind of a lockdown you're still okay to walk for exercise outdoors yeah yeah and maintain distance obviously the social distancing but there's nothing that says you can't go walk around your backyard or walk around your block yeah or something like that um yeah, keep your legs moving because this, you don't want to come out of this 30 pounds heavier and totally not being able Amazing. to, you know, do the stuff that you normally do. If you're a bartender, you don't want to be, you know, not be able to run around and make drinks or take care of your tables or what have you. Yeah. Um, stay in shape. Stay in shape, guys, because we're fat enough. <laughs> we don't need this to make us fatter. Because also when you sit down and hang out and don't get any exercise or anything, you kind of tend to just eat out of boredom. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and you can avoid that by getting your metabolism going, getting up, get moving. So stay in shape. That's that's my my big tip. That will also help stave off depression mm -hmm. because your body when you when you walk or get exercise, your body releases endorphins and, and you get there's some like sunshine. a chemical thing. Yeah, get sunshine because vitamin D super duper important. Um, yeah. 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 I think it's just important to think about because I think it's easy to fall into the habit of, you know, it's the weekend every day now for some, a lot of people, yeah. and bet for pros and cons of that. Not that it's always a fun ride. There's a lot of responsibilities you still have to do, but it's easy to get in that weekend mentality of, um, hanging out and sitting around and it's, it's fun and there can be great things about it, but yeah, it's easy to get stuck in that rut. And I find, I find specifically too, especially if we're talking about designing games or working on a mental problem, like going for a walk. 
um, getting away from like distractions clears your head for a minute and really Very lets much. you have some space to process some of that information or let it sit. And then you'll be surprised, of course, what kind of comes unbidden to uh, resolve any issues you're thinking about or problems um, that uh, you're mulling over. So for anyway, sure. just uh, the more you know advice from Bill and Kaz yes. <laughs> on how I've, to stay sane when and functional. I, uh, when I listen to podcasts that aren't in English, um, I when I walk around, I understand them better. It's like just like it, yeah, it like gets your brain moving yeah, somehow. Yeah. Like it, yeah, I don't know what it is. There's probably a scientific explanation for it. And if there's any doctors listening to this podcast, why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> but um, why good, are you not out there? Good Solving on you. Them. Yeah. Um, good. Good on you. But but yeah, let us know. Uh, let us know why that is. Yeah. Let us know how um, you're doing too. What what yeah. are the things you're doing um, as we're all quarantined and um, what you are doing to distract yourself? If you're able to get some games in, how you're doing it, and what you've been playing, and what you've been discovering. We'd love to hear from you guys. Make sure everyone's doing well and. Uh, and doing uh, doing something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Don't get fat. Yeah. Um, there we go. Yep. It's a good way to end it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. You can, of course, get a hold of us in the normal ways through Instagram and Twitter at... Ch- or, no, that's not right. I almost at, said the other... Uh, at <laughs> Roasted Games 1. Roasted Games 1. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, get us a hold of us as well on our podcast hosting page, eavesdrop.com, and go down to the Roasted Games page and fill the comment form there. Of course, there's Facebook email riskgamesco at gmail.com many other options but those are the best ones so let us know what you guys are doing and we will catch you all on the next episode bye